It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Joined now by uh, Julian Raven, artist, author, and I would say proud American. I think I think that's probably a pretty good way to put it. Uh, Julian, uh, like many others, uh, joining uh, the American citizenship crowd. That's you and me uh, by choice. Born in England, became an American citizen in 2015. And his book, Odious and Cerberus, An American Immigrant's Odyssey and His Free Speech Legal War Against Smithsonian Corruption. Uh, Julian, welcome. You know, my, I love the Smithsonian over the many years since childhood. You know, it, it is supposed to be this institution of uh, all things uh, American, important to America, from history to space and all in between. Uh, but your story's somewhat different. What happened? Well, good morning, David, and thank you for having me on. Oh, it's a, a wonderful chapter in my life now that I look back at it because it's part of this remarkable American story that we are all blessed to participate in. Never something I could have imagined. It sort of was dropped in my lap, and then it's now my purpose in this country, which is, I think, you know, part of my active role as a newborn American citizen how I like to describe myself. Um, You know, I didn't know much about the Smithsonian at all. Obviously, I began to hear about it upon coming to the United States. People would speak about it, as you just did now. There would always be this very similar, uh, it's sort of like a a pilgrimage. You go to Washington and everybody goes to the Smithsonian and sees the different museums. My journey as an artist led me in 2015 to be inspired to paint a portrait of then candidate Donald Trump against all the odds virtually at the time that he had uh, announced his um, desire to become president. And that led me on this fabulous artistic journey, which was really life-changing of just how that painting consumed my life. And then once I had completed the portrait in September of 2015, that's the month that uh, providentially I became a citizen as well. I'd had my application in for years it just it took I think it took five years to actually get through the system. Post nine eleven, everything was very, very slow. My residency was slow and then five years of waiting in line for my citizenship to come through. So it was a wonderful opportunity to become a citizen of the United States in September of two thousand and fifteen on Constitution Day. Um, and that that was the next step for me in my journey. And then I'm like, okay, I swore this oath. I renounced my citizenship as a British subject. You had to abjure all of your oaths to kings and queens and countries and Spain and governments. And then you pledge allegiance to the United States, to the Constitution, to uphold the laws of America and the Constitution, to defend them against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so I was bound by my oath, this new oath, like a sort of a wedding ceremony. And then uh, I I embarked on a journey to say, well, what now with my painting? How can I uh, express that duty as an American and really the love I have for this country because I I see the terrible condition, even back then, the last 25 years I've been here as a resident, you see this deterioration of our country. And, you know, as a person of faith, I, I, you know, have children. I, I want to see the best days for America ahead of us and not behind us. And so... David, I embarked on my political journey as a political naive, you could say. You know, it was all new to me. 
And um, it led me across this great country to meet wonderful people uh, right across Iowa caucuses, campaigning to a wonderful art show in uh, uh, Los Angeles, California, at Politicon in 2016, uh, to becoming an alternate delegate for New York State at the at the convention in in Cleveland in 2016. It was just amazing. It was absolutely just I'd always seen these these crazy political conventions when I came here, and I was always like, look at this balloons and confetti and people dressed up, and it just and it, the Texan white hats, I can remember these boots. Everything was so American. And for me as a foreigner, it was just like, I've got to go and see that. And I never knew how it would end up, that I'd actually become an alternate delegate and be sitting there as a delegate for New York State and then for Trump at that time. So uh, it was absolutely fantastic. And then the historic win. And after the win, it was the question, now what do I do with my painting? And remembering all these people I met across the country who said, oh, this needs to be in the Smithsonian. This needs to be in the Smithsonian. I was like, okay, this needs to be in the Smithsonian. And I put an application together with uh, publicly supported by politicians from all over the state of New York. And um, sadly, it ended up getting a phone call from the director herself, Kim Sayer, an Australian woman, a non American citizen, I was to find out, and it turned into an 11 minute argument as her Trump derangement syndrome just drove the whole conversation off the rails. And the funny thing at the end of the, the conversation, after she had basically, you know, made up all these objections and I rebutted all of them in her Australian actions, she says, Well, I'm the director of the National Portrait Gallery. Your application will go no further. You can appeal it all you want. Breakfast hangs up the phone. And that led me then on this journey to file a federal free speech lawsuit against the Smithsonian Institution. What's the status of the lawsuit now? Well, the lawsuit had gone through uh, all the stages from the district court in D.C. to climbing the ladder right up to the steps of the Supreme Court, where my case was rejected. I, I filed this myself. Um, It was another challenge, another celebration of my American citizenship. I'd I'd heard this story about this gentleman in the 50s, late 50s. Um, His name was uh, Gideon. I can't remember his first name. But he had filed a lawsuit from his on appeal to a lawsuit from jail. And it reached the halls of the, uh, the Supreme Court. And they actually heard his appeal. He like scrawled it on a piece of paper and and, and, and I was like, look at this country, you know, a guy from jail can appeal to this U.S. Supreme Court and they hear his case and they give him justice. And I'm like, that's this American system that just it's and I grew up in Spain where it's just a completely different world. It's no you just you barely if you can live your life and not get in trouble and not have all this trouble with law, you're blessed. Don't go there. It's so corrupt. But here it was this American system that I now as a citizen could participate in. And I did. And I took it upon my shoulders to to do this. And yet with with tremendous disappointment, even the U.S. Supreme Court, because of this strange, mythical institution, refused even their duty under Marbury versus Madison, which was to say what the law is, the job of judicial review to review the the, the unresolved and unprecedented claims that I had against the Smithsonian, I think because I was just a nobody artist, just 
representing myself, they decided we don't want to deal with this. And Chief Justice John Roberts is also the Smithsonian Chancellor. There's a lot of very close-knit stuff going on in D.C. with the Smithsonian. And I have uncovered it. That's why I wrote my book. I have three and a half years of study. The American people need to realize this legal enigma that the Smithsonian Institution is, what people think it is, what it actually is, where the monies go. There are scandals all throughout the history of the institution because, unfortunately, people treat it as a government institution. They think it's a government institution, but it's just a private trust that's managed by the government. It's all it is. It's a private trust given to the United States by a British man, James Smithson. And I, I did this research, and I'm like, my goodness, this is a real problem of law here because the rulings that I experienced in the federal courts where I was arguing this position, they came back and said, oh, no, the Smithsonian is the government through and through. They said it's the, the government property. and It's not. The Smithsonian properties, they belong to the Smithsonian. They do not belong to the federal government. And all of these issues because of the ruling of the federal court, then violates the separation of powers because the Board of Regents, Chief Justice John Roberts, the Vice President, three members of Congress, three members of the Senate, and nine members of the public sit on the Board of Regents that manages the Smithsonian Institution. They cannot be the federal government because you can't have all three branches of the government sitting together making decisions as one speaking as the voice of the federal government. It's insane. It's completely back to front. And yet they refuse. They kick the can down the road, basically, to accept my case and to untangle this mess. Well, at the same time, you have an institution that has gone woke. They've included other things, other, uh, I I would call it far-left items, uh, far-left artwork, uh, in the institution, and to that effect, okay, if you want to include that, why exclude, in your case, a, a portrait of the 45th president of the United States? Uh, so that clearly points to a bias here. Uh, first, and by the way, I've taken a look at your art, and and you are a very good artist. I, I'm just, well, thank you. I, I, I am thank certainly you. no... Uh, you know, no great art critic, but I know what I like. And, and having gone through your art, through Saatchi, or the, who carries your art and your auction, kudos to you. You're you're quite the talented artist. Uh, and and I got to tell you, if I show this to my wife, I have a feeling that, that you might hear from me again. Can, can you cut me a deal there, uh, Julian? You know, can we talk? I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work something. Out. Absolutely. Look, you have it, to contact me directly. I, I will. I, I really do love your art. And it's not just what you did with the portrait of the president. You're a talented artist, and our Smithsonian is supposed to represent, uh, and I would think want to represent someone who chose to come to this country, participate, and provide uh, something that can last beyond our lifetimes, which is what art often does. Uh, Julian, we're out of time. Julian Raven, artist, author, activist, preacher, and podcaster. Uh, real quick, where can we find your podcast? Right now through julianraven.com. It's, you can, there's a link there. It's in development. I did this years ago and have restarted it now with the launch of my book so I can continually bring attention to this subject matter and other matters like you mentioned 
as far as the bias, the anti-conservative bias in the art world is a, is a problem. It's a real problem, and I wish to continually bore, you know, bring light to that subject. Well, I appreciate it, Julian. The book, Odious and Cerberus, An American Immigrant's Journey, or Immigrant's Odyssey, not just the journey, and his free speech legal war against Smithsonian corruption. A little bit of history for you there, too, by Mr. Smithson, the Brit. Thank you, Julian. We'll be in touch soon. And yes, I want to deal on the art. You can join me live on The David Webb Show, Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east, on Sirius XM Patriot 125.